You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Uh, tell me what are some of the biggest challenges you are facing the last couple of weeks? It's a massive logistical exercise, this. We are, we are bringing into Australia you know, 1,250 people on 18 charter flights from seven cities to quarantine for two weeks. Who gets the final word? Is it you or the TV or um, because there's so many things to consider? Yeah, different slams have different things, but it's in, in the case of the Australian Open, it's, it's, I, I do. And, uh, and I've set it up that way because I want, I, if something goes wrong or someone complains, I don't want anyone else to be blamed. What is the best way for um, still active athletes, not only tennis players, to, to be able to prepare the best way they can for their second career to make that transition as smooth and as successful as possible. And I think what athletes forget, they, they look at their career as an athlete as just one career. But actually, the most successful post-athlete you know, careers that, 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 that athletes have picked up on are ones where they prepared their career during well craig thank you so much for your time i gotta say uh i think you are one of the most busy people on, on the planet at the moment with everything you've got going on uh tell me what are some of the biggest challenges you are facing the last couple of weeks well, I think, uh, Danny, it's good to see you again. It's a, um, it's a massive logistical exercise, this. We are, we are bringing into Australia you know, 1,250 people on 18 charter flights from seven cities to quarantine for two weeks uh, to play nine events over four weeks uh, with 400,000 fans, $83 million in prize money, and, uh, and setting up an, envir an environment where there's no positive COVID cases. 
So it's a massive logistical exercise, even just dealing with the airplanes on the schedules. Now the players are starting to get their schedules now tonight and it'll probably take 48 hours for everyone to get their schedules. But every single player, you know, if they're leaving from Bucharest, they're going to fly into Dubai. The time's got to match up the charter flight and you've got to have a, you know, a COVID test 72 hours before you leave. That's negative. And then you arrive, have another one. Um, so it's, a, it's just a massive, massive exercise. And because we have a modified quarantine program where players can practice, um, they, they can go outside for five hours a day, then go inside and then have to go back into the room. Um, that logistically is, is also extremely difficult to do. So, How on um, earth are you sleeping these days? <laughs> not much. We've got a good team. Team's doing great. Uh, but yeah, everyone's pretty tired actually, because to pull it off, uh, it's a lot of late nights. And as you know, from this call, it's what it's our time zone. It's not, not great. So, so most of our work's done at night after nine and, uh, and through the night. So it's a, yeah, it's just a lot of work, but uh, once players start getting on the planes next week, I think we'll, we'll get there. On a personal level, when you have weeks as busy as this, how do you keep up yourself, um, you know, staying in shape, staying inactive? Because as we know, that's just as important as the work. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to, you got to look, I haven't been as disciplined physically as I should, should be, but I, I make sure I get a minimum amount of exercise each day, but I'd like it to be more, but, but I, I've always said to people get fresh air. So often mm -hmm. if I'm on a, on a call, if it's not a zoom call, a team's call, I go outside and I'll walk around and, and go for a long walk. And, but we've had, it's been Melbourne and Melbourne has four seasons in one day. And in the last week we've had cold season. So, uh, uh, but it's, it's going to be nice and hot tomorrow. So um, yeah, so whenever you can get fresh air, but I look, it's, you know, physically, you're only as sharp mentally as you are fit physically. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, it's important to keep that up, but, uh, but it's, 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 it hasn't been difficult. It hasn't been easy because the, the, what has been really difficult is actually respond, being re responsive to everyone really. Mm. As a tournament director of the Australian open, what makes you the most proud of and what makes Australian open this special? I think it's, it's a great question. I think I mean, we pride ourselves on our relationship with the playing group. We spend a lot of time and energy into making the players feel welcome, let them enjoy their time. That's why this is very difficult for us because players are going to go into quarantine for two weeks and it's not going to be great. And uh, we're not used to not having it great for the players. However, when you come out, it's normal. We had no cases of COVID again today and uh, good news, Sydney had no cases either. So I think in Australia overall, there's, less than 10 cases and all of them are in hotel quarantine. So, so there's really, there's very, so it's normal. You walk outside, it's, we're living in a normal world here. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because we're an island and we're far away. Uh, now we're bringing the rest of the world here. So, so we, are, we get stressed by making sure that everyone doesn't spread the virus in the community. That's why we have this two-week quarantine. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably most proud of how we approach the playing group and, and how we support the players and, and how we get regarded as the players. That's why this year is going to be difficult because maintaining that position with that requirement is going to be, going to be hard. Yeah, that is such a good point you made because from my own experience, and I think 100% the players will agree with that, that it's been always the most friendly slam and you being able to greet all of us on a personal level, it's something that I always found, it was incredible that you found the way and the time to, to do so. So yes, that's got to be a big challenge this year, not being able to, to have that strength. But on a, yeah. on a general note, as a tournament director of a slam, how different is it to any other tournaments? And what are some of the things 
you have to deal with that we as a players or the media people, spectators, we don't even realize that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, it's behind the scenes mostly. And you know what? It's mostly like fans doing stupid things, <laughs> breaching security or um, you really? know, do, you know, j- jumping off the stands and breaking an ankle or stealing someone's handbag or, or try, you know, trying to get into the grounds without a ticket or jumping the fence or, you know, it's putting out a smoke, putting, bringing a smoke bomb or, you know, it's just, I mean, I can give you a list of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things and each one takes time to manage. So a lot of that is, is happening behind the scenes. And uh, so that's always difficult to manage. Scheduling is tough because there's so many variables and uh, that's why it's important to know the players. I mean, I, I knew things that you liked uh, and that you didn't like. So you try and as a player, you try and match those up as best as you can. And because, you know, some players like to play at night, some in the day, some in the main court, some in the outside court, some in the quicker court, some in the slower court. And you try and match it up as best as you can. And, um, and my philosophy was always you go from the top down, you know, so you start with the best player in the world, you go number two, number three, number four, because that's kind of how it works. You know, they've got their, you know, because of, because of their success. So, um, uh, and, uh, and sometimes, and I'm also a big advocate for, um, a larger group of players making a living. So I, I definitely believe if you 100 in the world, 200 in the world, you should be making a decent living in tennis and the, ten, and the sport should be supporting that. There should be enough challenges and other events around the world that players can play and, and not just have the top players. Yes, the top players are the most marketable and can deliver the results for an event, uh, but I think it's, it's beholden on the sport and the people that lead the sport to make sure that the rest are making a living as well. That's why we we have really good prize money distribution in the first rounds and the qualifying. And in fact, this year, I think we increased the qualifying by 17% wow. uh, in a pandemic year, which is unusual. And, and now if you lose in the first round of the Australian Open, you, win a, you still win $100,000. So, That's so not, not bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I should make the comeback. No, just kidding. Yeah, you should maybe get, get, put it again. Get, get off the ski slopes and come back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Life's too good. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing on the scheduling, because that's something I always wondered. Um, as we know, it's it's a crazy difficult decisions you have to make. Who gets the final word? Is it you or the TV or um, yeah, because it, there's so many things to consider? Yeah, different slams have different things, but it's in, in the case of the Australian Open, it, it, I, I do. And, uh, and I've set it up that way because I want... I, if something goes wrong or someone complains, I don't want anyone else to be blamed. Mm-hmm. I want the player to be able to come to me directly and say, I didn't agree with that or I did agree or it wasn't fair or I want to hear it direct. And then I'm able to say, yeah, look, I made that decision. And yeah, maybe it wasn't a great decision, but here are all the variables that had taken into consideration for that decision. So, so we, we take the inputs from the TV and there's it it is the national broadcast of all the international ones. You take the inputs from the tours, the women's tour and the men's tour, what they think is best. You take the inputs from the security people, how you separate different nations because of security. Oh, wow. Because you know, if, if there's two countries that are at war back home, sure. with your fans, you're not going to put them on courts next to each other. Um, and, then, and then there's the timing of the schedule. You, do you have doubles or mixed doubles the day before? When do you finish? When should you play your singles? The requests, obviously, of the global broadcasters, even the sponsors. So you take all that information in for every match and you look at it as a, as a, as a kind of a matrix of decisions. And then, and then you make a decision. 
but then every decision you make impacts something else. So then you've got to make another decision to make that change. It takes about eight hours each day to make a decision for the next day. Wow, um, I was just going to ask that. When do you actually start yeah. thinking about the next day? Wow, eight hours before it comes out. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. We start. We normally start at the end of the last match, the night before, because then we kind of know, and then that, and then the, um, and then you know, then we, then the next, you know, you. So you've done. It's kind of like a day and a half ahead. Yep. You start to get a sense of where it is, and then you just make changes at the last minute. But it's it's about an eight each day. It's about an eight hour project where you're just locked in the room trying to figure out the matrix because the scheduling is important. It can make or break an event, you know, on, on, on where you put people. And, uh, and that's, I think that's one of our points of difference. The scheduling is not done by some person you don't know in the dark room that you can give no input to, you know, everyone knows that I do, I make the decisions. So they come to me and, and believe me, we get lots of requests as you can appreciate. And then some players make no requests. So, you know, you try and, to try and you know recognize that as well, but it's a, it's a massive. It's it's I, I enjoy problem solving, so it's a lot of fun trying mm. to solve those problems. Yeah, but it's great to hear that because even me as a player, I wouldn't have an, any clue that it takes eight hours. And then you know you see the schedule and you go yeah. like, why am I second after that long men's match? And I know I'm going to be waiting for yeah. five hours, right? I know. Yeah. yeah, and I know that's exactly. I would think the same way. I think I'm playing. You know that men's match and and it's those, and it's the Spaniard it's, it's the one Spaniard and and the South American and uh, and I know they're going to be there until four o'clock and why didn't I get a not before time and you know so like it's it's yeah, but these are all the, whenever you think that then it's like six one six one six two and suddenly you are on the court without having to yeah, no. get the time to warm yeah. up. <laughs> Anyways, well, well even yeah. we even make decisions like if I know we I, mean, I know a lot of the players really well I know how quick and slow they are and who mm -hmm. they play and there's some history of how long matches are taken so we even look at that and uh, you know I can tell you which players are notoriously slow so we put them <laughs> at a time where they're not going to affect the rest of the schedule. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say more on that. Um, no, no, no need to. <laughs> anyways, let's change the subject, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Craig, listen, we are running this new uh, series this year on the Real DNA podcast called Business After Sports. And yeah. I would love to know, in your uh, opinion, what is the best way for um, still active athletes, not only tennis players, yeah. to to be able to prepare the best way they can for their second career to make that transition as smooth and as successful as possible yeah look it's a great question i mean i always tell the athletes and and you know i started this role as a, as a coach i've been a coach for 20 plus years and and so i really understood you know uh, on the journey of coaching both college athletes junior athletes professional athletes that you know you're trying to help them get the best out of themselves and, uh, and, and that's your job as a coach and as a leader with that person is just to help them get the best out of themselves. And, uh, and I think what athletes forget, they, they look at their career as an athlete as just one career. But actually, the most successful post-athlete you know, careers that, 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 that athletes have picked up on are ones where they prepared their career during being a great athlete. And, uh, and that preparation gives you years and years of a head start. Most athletes just play tennis or play their sport. And then when they finish, they say, okay, now what? And they're going to start again. Whereas the ones that have done it really smartly, they, they take the time, whether it be education. Uh, I'm a big believer in talking to people and getting mentors and building a network of people that help you springboard your career when you finish. 
And uh, so if you wanted to get into media, like you've done a really great job at, you know, you start practicing that while you, while you're a top 10 player in the world and you start reading about it, listening to people, making tapes, talking to people. So it's just a natural transition when you come out. And sometimes it's difficult because you don't know what decision you're going to make with your career. So, so what's it going to be? If it, if it's, you know, if it's going to be something in management, you say, well, okay, maybe during the time I'll go and read up on management. I'll go and do some coursework on it. I'll go and talk to mentors on it. And, and, uh, and I, unfortunately, the majority of sports people have to have a second career because uh, the earning capacity is not there. It, it, for the elite 5%, it is. But the majority have to have a second career to earn, an, earn a living. And then they make sometimes poor decisions because they, they panicked and they rushed and they're not ready. And uh, I think there's another business actually in that. I think it's business life after athletes. You know, it's like being a life after success is that, is helping helping people through that transition. I come from an education background where I always encourage the athletes I worked with to to focus on educating themselves beyond just their their athletic performance, even if they were didn't finish high school or something. And it's always paid off. Every single one of them that's gone down that path is doing well. Yeah, what a great piece of advice. And that's actually exactly what I'm trying to uh, do this year to hopefully maybe help a little bit with you know giving them the the right. Uh, kind of um, ways to, to look at things and start, like you said, preparing for it while they're still still active. And I think one of the yeah. most important things for athletes is to learn how to listen because I think most of yeah. us do well in front of camera talking about ourselves, but then yeah. being able to step back and actually really, like you said, surround ourselves with good people, get the good piece of advice and listen to what they're saying. Yeah. yeah well, you know what it's like, you know, there was a period in your life where you were a superstar. And so everyone did everything for you, wanted to help you, give you what you wanted. And then when you wake up one morning, you're not that anymore because somebody else is that. And, uh, and now you're going to start fending for yourself more. And that's a massive transition. And most people don't go through that in life. Um, and so that's a massive transition. I, I've always encouraged athletes to, to actually go and do some aptitude, aptitude tests. Like, you know, while you're an athlete, go and do some psych tests on what really interests you. You know, is it, is it the is it the office? Is it building a? Is it working in a startup? Is it doing innovation? Is it tech work? You know, is it physical work? Is it you know? There's a whole bunch of careers and go and you can athletes and go and generally because they always say, look, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm just focused on my tennis. Well, you should be focused on yourself and your career. And tennis is just one of those vehicles, as maybe volleyball is or whatever skiing is or whatever. So, but um, so I've always encouraged athletes to go at any point go and. You know, you can get these psych aptitude tests and they give you an inclination of what really interests you and, and where you think you could be good. And then you can make a decision off that information on what career you could pursue. And, and, uh, and you start preparing the best, the most successful people start preparing for their next journey, right at the height of the middle of their first, their, their first journey. And, uh, and I think you can see a number of examples of that. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things uh... I find is that I think no matter what level you are as an athlete, that you always will want to have that second career, even though you don't need to because yeah. financially you're set for the rest of your life. But I just can't imagine being so active in you know most parts of your life, then suddenly you know put your feet up and do nothing. There's just no way that yeah. um, you know it's it's that DNA in us that you always want to do yeah. everything the best way you can. Yeah, there's no. I haven't met any champion athlete that's not doing anything in their second career <laughs> they're always trying to do something and unfortunately a lot of them get lost and uh and then and then struggle and i think there's a lot of depression and and uncertainty 
because they struggle with that transition. But the, this transition, you cannot wait for the transition to start. You've got to prepare for the transition way in advance. Craig, thank you so much for that. This is such a such a deep stuff, um, and I appreciate that. While you're so extremely busy, the very last question I want to ask: If you can sure. describe Australian Open in three words, what it means to you? If I can describe the Australian Open in three words, I think it would be. Uh, um, well, it depends which audience you're describing it for. But generally, if I'm saying as a, is a, it's a, um, I say it's a happy, a happy slam. Um, you know, yeah, you I, Roger Federer. Three words, actually. <laughs> yeah, three words. A happy slam. Um, Roger Federer actually said that in 2007. He said he felt it was a very happy slam, and and we've kind of grabbed that for and and that our whole brand positioning is just just to be happy. You know, just uh, make make it a happy experience for players, for the fans, and that's why we we have music and we have food and we have concerts and we have um, we have you know uh, kids play zone and uh, it's just a massive festival uh, for two weeks. In fact, it's Australia's not only is the largest sporting event, but it's Australia's largest festival. It's the largest music festival now as well. Uh, we have over 80 bands in the course of two weeks that play, um, which you as players didn't get much, don't get much chance to enjoy, but now maybe you can some more. But, uh, you know, we have from bands from around the world come and, and, and play at the Australian Open in the set. So, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, look, it's a, this is a great, this is a fun job. I love my job. I love the people I work with. And so this pandemic has just, created some more challenges for us but nothing that we you can't overcome and i think uh, and i love the team i work with you know we have 650 people that uh, that do love their job as well so that's uh, so it's fun and at the end of the day you know if it's not fun it's not worth doing so you got to you got to find something that you enjoy 100 so i wish that the next couple of weeks are as happy as possible for you that everyone stays safe and healthy and that it's another successful summer of tennis despite all the challenges that you will have to face yeah, no, thanks, Danny. Good to see you again. And uh, I know you're in Switzerland. I'm in Australia. The sun's shining. It's getting hot. Uh, but we'll, our season will change in six months' time. And, and good luck and, and stay yeah. safe. I hope that uh, I'll get to be down under, um, you know, next year and that uh, yep. everything's we'll back ready to for you. kind of a normal. <laughs> That's right. We'll be ready in 22. <laughs> Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks, Danny. Take care. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode and getting to know my guest a bit better. If you feel like it, do subscribe to us so you don't miss any of the action. Also, let me know your comments or suggestions on my social media channels and have a lovely rest of your day. Bye! Ready? Okay. Give me a beach! Beach! Give me great food! Tacos! Give me adventure! Hiking! Give me a date night! Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles! Cheese! Give me more beaches! Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. 
From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.